And we're on. And we're on. We're back. Lighting we up are the back. House. Yes, sir. It's Green Heat Miami, baby. Yes, 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 yes. We always have an action-packed episode, and we're always bringing some of the best in our industry across varying sectors. I get excited about every episode. I am excited about this one. Adult Swim, which is one of my favorite networks, which is under the umbrella of Warner Media, which who would have thought this just even a few years ago is under the umbrella of AT&T, a telecommunications company. Which is so, making this uh, podcast possible right now. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> because we are on AT&T Internet. So um, maybe they're even listening in. We, we can use a sponsorship, uh, AT&T. Um, yeah, if you're going to be eavesdropping, might as well drop some sponsor dollars on us. <laughs> there you go. Drop something. <laughs> but we, <laughs> drop we do have some, on us, drop something. We always do have some great partners that, you know, we, we need to mention. Uh, of course, I'm I'm one of the co-hosts, J.L. Martinez, along with Kevin Sharpley. Brought to you by the Miami Media and Film Market. Kajik Multimedia. Cinevision. And the Miami Media and Film Market. And Camacol. Market. Yes. Market. Marketing it up. Market. Chemical. Cinevision. Kajik Multimedia. We're rocking. Who, so who are our guests today? And we're going to mark this one. So this is a power couple. Jonathan and Erica Delgado. They both work within the inner workings of the industry. I call it the machinery of the industry. There are a lot of sectors and facets and parts of the industry that make this thing move. So Jonathan is, he actually started out more um, on the sports side and you'll hear a little bit about that with Turner, but then he moved into Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network is in two parts. So Cartoon Network happens during the day and then Adult Swim happens at night. And I guess the transition of his career kind of moved in that direction. So he moved from Cartoon Network to now Adult Swim, which is the darker side, the adult side. Um, and so he's an on-air manager. He promotes original content, sponsorship promotions. He heads up, uh, um, you know, a, a department there. And he's also uh, in charge of promotions and integration with the music festival, which I love their music festival. They helped to launch a lot of different artists. Adult Swim has helped to launch the careers of a, a lot of different artists. Killer Mike, one of my favorites being one of them, but I could go on and on and on and on and on. The list goes sure. on and on and on. Yeah. So he works in a lot of different sectors there and, you know, being there um, in meetings there at Adult Swim, you know, a few times just kind of seeing him operate it just really mystified me seeing, you know, the pace that he worked. So I knew that I wanted to interview him. So this is, this interview has been a long time coming, but his right. wife also worked at the company, uh, TNT and TBS, which are networks. Again, I talked about how everything is kind of siloed, but umbrellaed under, under one company. So she worked for TNT and TBS doing on-air promos 
those are super important because it really lets you know what's happening and what's going on with the networks. And she's an award winner doing that. She won uh, a huge award for her work on a Black Panther promo. So she's one of the best in the game at what she does. And you're going to hear how all of that works, how all of these things operate. So I'm super excited about this interview coming up. But we have a few things that we want to get to right before we get to the interview. Yes, a lot of things. absolutely. A lot, a lot of things. And, and we're going to start in the theatrical world. Uh, the Alamo Draft House is one of uh, America's most beloved indie cinema chains, uh, has announced that it will have to file for Chapter 11 after the, the just a terrible year that theatrical distribution has had just across the board uh, during the last year of the pandemic. So, you know, but, but it looks like they're going to have lights. They're, they're going to restructure under a chapter 11 uh, in a rare move. It looks like their original investors want to reinvest uh, under this reorganization because they see a bright future. So it looks like ultimately the, the Alamo draft house will be able to pour themselves another one and continue (laughs) their, their brand of craft, food and beer and and just great cinema, you know, that has a lot of support from the industry. You know, they do all sorts of special events uh, with filmmakers like Wes Anderson and Ryan Johnson. So they're really sort of beloved within the industry as well, because they really take good care of of the films and are really passionate about the movies that they exhibit as well. Yeah, the industry. They're passionate about the industry and their moviegoers are passionate about the industry as well. So they're beloved by the people that go and attend all of not just their, um, you know, the movies to go see the movies, but they have a lot of different events and they're really there to, engaging with the community at large. So I Absolutely. do see, you know, as, as everything kind of winds back up, Alamo Draft House not having an issue. And I think that they were in the forefront of that whole movement towards retrofit, retrofitting the bigger theaters. Alamo Draft House has always been, you know, serve you in your seats and they served alcohol and did a lot of the things that then the bigger chains adopted, you know, right. later on. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And some other boutiques as well. You know, locally in Miami, we have the Silver Spot, which is now home to the Miami Film Festival, uh, which has a similar sort of setup to to the Alamo Draft House. So, yeah, it's really caught on nationwide, this this sort of upscale very kind of five-star restaurant type approach experience in, in movie going, which, which could be the future, you know, smaller, more upscale, more elegant. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always down for that. So, yeah. I mean, see what happens. it doesn't have to be upscale, but I'd love to have a burger while I'm watching my movie. <laughs> no, no, I need a, a burger chair, and a beer. Right. You know, and, and the beer, maybe sometimes a beer, maybe sometimes it's a craft cocktail. I don't know what I'm in the sushi. <laughs> I don't know the chopsticks trying to get the sushi while you're. I don't know if I can do all that. But uh, at, at some point there will be a movie playing. I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, all right, uh, you don't mind waiting. Yeah, yeah. And this is the next one is something that has been a long time coming. Something that you know, especially this, especially us here in Miami, there is a Miami connection with this. Um, I love Lucy. Oh yeah, it's coming back. I'm excited about that. Yes. And of course, you know, a show that was, uh, you know, sparked so much interest in the Americana of, of the time that it was released back in the 1950s. Uh, and of course, the local connection, one of its stars, uh, Desi Arnaz, who's a Cuban, Cuban-American, 
who starred in the show and, and will be portrayed in the film uh, by, you know, another legendary actor out of Spain, Javier Bardem, is going to be playing the lead role uh, along with, with an Aussie to play Lucy in this sort of interpretation, uh, which is which is an interesting choice in terms of the casting. Uh, you know, well, she's a redhead. She is a redhead, so that makes sense. So, you know, they definitely, they got the hair color right. And, you know, but she's just such a talented, uh, you know, sort of actor that that you really, you kind of see uh, that she could totally take on, you know, Nicole Kidman, who's legendary, to take on that role. Uh, oh, yeah. And so it's going to be interesting to see that do. And, and, of course, you know, speaking of A-list talent, Aaron Sorkin, who wrote the script and will also direct nice. for Amazon Studios. Yeah. That's, so that, that, that's tremendous. Desi Arnaz, you know, spent his you know, later years here in Miami, moved to Miami. And, um, That's right. you know, you'd have Desi Arnaz. I mean, it was a little bit before my time well, a lot before my time, but there'd be Desi Arnaz sightings and, you yeah. know, people talking shop with him and whatnot. So yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah. I heard he moved to the Gable, something like that. Coral Gables area. Yeah. Uh, or maybe the Grove, you know, maybe he's a Grove guy either way. I'm sure he was this- out there. Yeah. Having his cafecito, smoking his cigar. There was only one <laughs> zip code. Talking shop, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> Babalu. Yeah. So I'm looking I'm looking forward to that. I'm I'm a sucker for yeah. uh, you know, that time period. So Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great time period. And it's, you know, the time period, like really, and really just like now, the industry was just kind of reinventing itself. And and I think one little thing that people don't know about, you know, their the production company, which was made up of Lucio Ball and Desi Arnaz, Desilu Productions. We're also responsible for the original run of shows like Star Trek that they produced as well. Yeah, that's right. I heard about that last. I mean, I would have thought because I'm a huge Star Trek fan, I would have heard about it, you know, a while yeah. ago, but I didn't hear about it until last year. Yeah. So yeah, that's, no, yeah. That's something. I don't know how much of their producing life will be covered in this film because apparently it all takes place within the span of one week of production of the I Love Lucy. So, so it's kind of a oh, behind okay. the scenes drama of this couple, I guess, learning how to live and work together. Uh, And, you know, I guess the fiery relationship between the the power couple. You know, we have a power couple on today. This was the power couple of yesteryear. There you go. We always (laughs) have that connection, some kind of overlap. Absolutely. Uh, And so, yeah, I think before we get into that interview, just one more topic of discussion, which is all a buzz now. We are in officially an Oscar season. The Oscars were pushed back to April, as we all know. Uh, But it looks like originally there was a sort of a hardline stance amongst the Oscar producers that uh, basically said there will be no jeans and no Zooms at this year's Oscars. So either you show up, you dress up, or you just let us mail you your Oscar. You will not be zooming in, but <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, no zoom, no jeans. That was the mantra by the producers, which actually includes some pretty powerhouse producers, Steven Soderbergh and Stacey Scher and Jesse Collins, uh, who are actually producing the event this year. And, but it looks like there's been a lot of complaints from some of the nominees, particularly because, you know, there is another wave of COVID throughout Europe where a lot of nominees live and in other parts of the world. So it's been very challenging for some of these artists who've been nominated to even get visas to even attend in person. So there may be, according to the Hollywood reporter, and they're still kind of uh, trying to figure out what happened, uh, what's going to happen. But apparently there could be a shift in philosophy. So Mm -hmm. there may be a little zoomy yet here and there sprinkled throughout the Oscars. uh, A couple of A-listers decided not, I'm sure. And then, you know, Right. Your draw is, you know, the big draw. So 
I guess absolutely. They're gonna yeah. have to call a draw there. <laughs> Hybrid. Yes, but so, somehow I think the only thing they have to work on is keeping some of those older actors awake, like Al Pacino, who has now notoriously his image of him falling asleep during the Golden Globes was kind of funny. Yeah, but, that, uh, that was that was that was pretty yeah. hardcore. As long yeah. as they can, they avoid the napping Pacinos. They'll be in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, the napping Pacinos. You don't want to have that. Oh but, no. All right. What do we, we got? have? This interview, which definitely is not a snoozer. This one is, um, well, I'd say all of ours rank up there in the top. But yeah. certainly, you know, if you want to understand the nuts and bolts of the industry, but also, you know, of one of my favorites, Adult Swim, and of course, you know, I, I mentioned TNT and TBS, so Warner Media, and you know, a lot about how all that stuff works. This is going to be the one for you to tune into. So without further ado, I give you Jonathan and Erica Delgado. I'm excited. This is an interview that's a long time coming. And I get two, two for one. Jonathan and Erica Delgado. Jonathan and Erica Delgado, a power couple in Atlanta, my new adopted hometown, because we started a presence in Atlanta in 2018. And I love the place. And I say Atlanta, but you know, we talk about the the greater Atlanta area. So all of the intersecting counties and Georgia in general. Um, I'm also a Southern boy. Uh, I, I grew up for seven years in Kentucky. So, you know, and so this is a this is a long time coming. As I said, I've been wanting to do this interview for several months. So yeah. I'm excited to jump into it. And as I said, we have er- Erica and Jonathan Delgado. Uh, they both have intersecting intersecting um, places within the industry. So I don't know who to start off with. First, but I'm gonna start off with Erica. Yeah, we'll do la- ladies first. <laughs> <laughs> ladies first. We're gonna put Erica in the hot seat. Erica, tell me about yourself. Tell me about what you do, what you've done, where you're from. We want to know everything. So I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, and I went to Howard University in Washington, DC, and that is where Jonathan and I met. Um, so best decision of my life for many reasons. (laughs) Um, I moved here to Atlanta just after graduation, uh, for a job with Turner Broadcasting and I was a trainee and the plan was to stay here for a year and then go back up North. And that's been almost 20 years ago now. So (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I guess you're not uh, going back up north. <laughs> I guess I'm not going back up north. <laughs> so I started out as a trainee at Turner Broadcasting, and I sort of stuck around there for the bulk of my career at TBS and TNT, working on promotional content for On Air, just promoting our shows, promoting the uh, movies that we were airing, and also creating custom sponsored content for our advertisers. So doing a lot of custom work, um, shoot based work and graphics based work and 
work that was grounded in really awesome music. Um, because as we all know, audio and music can change the tone. It can change the vibe. It can change the attitude of anything. So I did a lot of um, promotional work that centered around music as well. Uh, and even spoken word poetry, <laughs> believe oh, wow. it or not. Yeah, one of yeah. my favorites. Yeah, custom uh, promotional content using that wonderful art form of spoken word to get the message across and to entertain fans as well. So I've had my hands in, you know, a bit of everything when it comes to promotional content, lots of different genres and lots of different brands and a couple of different networks. And um, as the creative lead behind many of those successful campaigns that you may have seen on TNT and TBS, I mean, those those campaigns, they were like my babies. I mean, so much hard work and heart went into it. And whenever I saw something on air, I just got a little, you know, a little giddy about it. No matter how long I was in the game, <laughs> it still felt good. So after my run with Turner, I went freelance and I took a break from promo work and I jumped into writing web content, um, articles about fitness and faith and family and mostly about entertainment because those things are the things that I love. Um, so I wrote a ton of content and then I jumped back into the promo game as a freelancer and it sort of reignited my love for promo work, stepping away from it for a little while and then stepping back into it. And it was like, I told Jonathan, I forgot how good I was at this. <laughs> like, I'm really good at this. Yeah, she is. And I say, and I don't say that to like. Jonathan, you got to say that. <laughs> I don't say yeah. that to like brag, but like God has given us all gifts and talents and nobody can do what I do the way I do it. Nobody can do what Jonathan does the way he does it. And no one can do what you do the way you do it. So it's okay to say, I'm really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, th this is great. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. You are great at it. And you are actually, you actually won an award for doing this, but we are going to talk about that in a bit um, here at screen heat, Miami, and this is really great. Like I said, this has been a long time coming. We like to get into the nuts and bolts of the industry and what really grinds and makes the industry work. So, you know, we've interviewed so many different people from so many sectors, producers, writers, directors, um, agents, film commissioners. The, it runs the gamut. And so when I say the nuts and bolts, we'd like to hear a little bit about the machinery and how you do what you do and how what you does affects the industry. So I want to kind of just go there and then we'll, we're, we're not ignoring you, Jonathan. No, no, I'm good. <laughs> we'll get to you in a minute. But promos are such an important sector of the industry. I mean, without promos, how are people going to know about what's coming up? And, and, and this is not just for the shows. This is also for things that are going on in terms of the the other spheres of the industry. So can you just tell me a little bit about promos, what they do, what they are, how they come about and what effect they have? So a promo is basically a bite-sized piece of content that you might see online or on an app 
or on your television if you still watch TV like I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that bite-sized piece of content is meant to give you information about what's coming up next that you might be interested in watching. But it's also meant to entertain and delight and make you smile a little bit and maybe even make you think or wonder. And if you can get that emotional response from someone, if there's a hook that can make someone wonder about something or make someone smile about something or wanna know more about something, then that's how you get them to watch whatever program you're trying to promote. It's like teasers. It's like teasers, teasers. but... Mm -hmm for programs and, and for other things, because you do promos also that promote films and, you know, a lot of other types of content. So Correct. it is Correct. the same thing, actually. It's the I same thing as teasers. Of, yeah, I have a lot of different um, types of content on my reel from promoting, you know, theatrical content on a network that is specifically targeted to that network audience to you know, writing a promo that promotes a sitcom that you might watch. So depending on what you're promoting and who you're trying to reach, that will determine exactly how you frame that content. What is your hook? Is it a funny joke? Is it, you know, a popular piece of music that resonates with people and causes that emotional reaction? Is it a customized graphic that you get a designer to create? So it's it's all about finding that hook. And I think that that is a universal idea that any artist or any creator can you know relate to. Mm -hmm. So you would consider yourself a, a producer, producer and writer. Yes, I am a writer, producer, content creator, um, wordsmith. I like to call myself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Wordsmith. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan. Now it's your time. I know you've been chomping at the bit, <laughs> but it's all support. It's all love. Um, you work within this internal uh, machinery in terms of the industry. So can you tell me a little bit about first your journey? Because that's what we love to hear about in Skid in Screen Heat Miami is a journey and how people got to where they're at. So tell me a little bit about your journey and then tell me a little bit about what you do. Yeah, yeah. So I was born in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, I went to Howard University and that's when I met Erica. And um, when we graduated, she moved to Atlanta and I stayed in D.C. Because um, she, she got a job right with her broadcasting like that summer. And I was like, wow, you got a job right away out of college. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen to me. You know, and I was like, I was, I was like, well, I'm not going to Atlanta because I like D.C. I don't know. I really want to stay there and make it work in D.C. Um, and, but it was just six months later, I was in Atlanta. <laughs> I don't even think it was six. Was oh. it? Like, it was like three. I yeah. you were down here on your birthday. Oh, that's right. I moved down my birthday. You're right. Correct. <laughs> See, the ladies always know. Yeah. It's that memory, man. Yeah. So yeah, like, I, I moved down a few, uh, a few months later and, um, I didn't start my career right away. I was 22 out of college. Um, I had a Howard University degree and I was and I was working at LA Fitness, man. I was working at the front desk at LA Fitness. I didn't get the opportunities uh, presented to me 
Uh, this is before, this is like when like monster.com and Yahoo, you would put your resumes in that stuff and that search yeah. engine. So right. that was back in the day. And I was like, I just wasn't landing hits. Uh, so I had to provide for myself at the time. And then, and I was working at a fitness center for uh, two years. And then I actually landed and I always, I had a degree in marketing. I always wanted, to, I wanted to do be in television, but particularly I wanted to be in sports when I first started up. I wanted to be a sports oh. broadcaster for the life of me. I was like, that's what I want to do. Uh, I, I love sports. And um, I started off as a, then I started out as I got a temp job at Turner in 2004, which she, what Erica worked at. I got a temp job as a PA. Oh, and wow. Yeah. So I got that job in 2004. And then they, after a year as a PA, as a temp, they hired me. Um, and I was like, oh, great. You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So uh, I did that. And like, I ended four years later, I did work in my way into the sports world where Turner Sports. And I was like, all right, here we go. You know what I mean? I'm finally, you know, I'm 26. I got, now I'm starting to like, my career starting to make off. I'm starting to make a little bit of money now that now, now I can pay for things and do. So I was like feeling really good. And I was like, wait a minute. I didn't realize, I didn't really think this out. I got to work weekends all the time. I got to work nights all the time. I got to, you know, like in sports, you're the, you're the first one there. It's a 14 hour days. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah. So, yeah. You're the, you're the first person there setting up for production. And then you're the last person out the door when like the fans are going, you're with the cleanup crew. So like when overtime came, you're just like, Oh no, man, I just want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know? But this is great. This is great because you know, a lot of people, of course, if you're in, in the industry, you understand that there's long hours and, you know, the work that goes into it. A lot of people just watch whatever is happening, you know, whether it's a movie or TV show, whatever it is. Right. They have no idea what goes into it. Yeah. So I was like helping with live stream with sports and, um, and you worked holidays, you work weekends. I was like, man, this is, this is not, this is rough. This is rougher than I thought it was going to be. So, but I needed to go through it to appreciate the job with me landing at Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. So after I did sports for two years. Um, Before you go into Cartoon Network and, and Adult Swim, can you just talk a little bit about what you did in, in the sports sector and a little bit about how that works? Because definitely, you know, there's people that want to understand how that machinery works. And there's people that want to get into that. So, yeah. So the sports sector is a little tricky. Like with sports, it's, it's live, you know, it's live events. So you, there's always, and there's always a little, you know, live events, there is a television delay for people who accidentally, you know, athletes who accidentally curse or swear by accident or something like that. So there's always a little bit of delay so you can catch it and censor it right away. Um, so as a sports, I was a production coordinator at that time. So I would help set up, like, uh, I would come with a crew and we were streaming, you know, we were stream sports. So I would help with the stream setup. And this was like with uh, mostly college events at the time, even though like TBS and uh, TNT had like the NBA TV and all that, I was doing college sports at the time, um, mostly in the Southeast region. Um, so we would go there and we would uh, set up, make sure the internet connections are working right. We would talk to the athletic directors. we make sure everything is kind of like, here's where we're going to set up our camera crew is a crew of like eight, nine people. And um, we would get there early as a, as a coordinator. I would always coordinate with the universities saying, hey, here's the logistics. Here's like the call time. Here's the rundown of what we're going to do and how we're going to film your event. So, so people, so your fans can watch it. Um, so the, and the whole 
nuts and bolts of it is like you get there super early and we set up all the cameras, we do all the audio checks. And at that point, uh, the game is going to start in about two hours, but you're still checking audio. There's still different feeds. Cause when you go to every university, every university setup is different. You know, sometimes you're working in the facility to have a, you know, sometimes you're working in a facility in a booth, which is like a luxury, or sometimes you're working in a, like a, like a mobile home that doesn't have AC that doesn't. And it's like outside the university, it's like right outside the university, but it's the best internet connection available. And everyone's like, okay, here we go. So we can't really see we're using the monitor. So it's just more of a, it with live events. You don't, you're worried about the stream going down. So you're always checking connections. And I had two IT guys with me at all times. And I learned a lot about the internet during that era. Like what, you know, if you're paying for this amount of internet, you should be getting this amount of speed. So like, I was like, all right, here we now. And now I know like, if I'm going to my providers outside of, of, you know, outside of work, I should be, if I'm paying that, I should be getting this. If I'm paying that, I should be getting this many megabytes down or this many gigabytes down. And you kind of learn how like, uh, um, you know, like the internet websites are kind of built and sports pages and how to stream properly where there's no lag. Um, and one of the things I did do, which was, which was crazy. One day we were filming an event at Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee, Tennessee university. We're filming a track event, track and field. And like, Hey, you need to be the camera director. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm just a coordinator, man. You know, like I just make sure that everyone is here doing their job. And if they need me to run and get some coffee or run and talk to somebody, that's what I do. But I was like, I'm, my job is to get everyone here, get everyone set up. And then I am like an emergency guy. They're like, well, we have an emergency. You need to run director on the switchboard. So when you, if you watch track and field, you'll see that there's cameras all around the track, correct? And it's a circle. So when you're running, you'll see that the, there's always a camera at the starting block. There's always a camera at the, like the, the corners. There's always cameras on straightaway. So my job was to make sure the camera guys were to cut. I had to say, cut, move, cut, move. So when the guys are running, it seems like a nice flow when they're running around the track. They're like, you gotta do this. And I was like, I don't know the board. And you're like, yeah, you do. You just kind of, you've been here long enough. So I ran the board for this track and field event at Knoxville, Tennessee. And it was nothing but God, man. He was like, <laughs> I, he was like, I got you. And I was able to figure it out right away and cut to it. And I was like, I was looking at it as I was a fan. I was like, if I was a fan, I want to see this girl turn this corner right now. I want to see this person turn this corner right now. So I would cut, I had this big uh, director's board and I would hit these buttons to cut to the different cameras that are set up. And that was like thrilling and nerve wracking on one. And I was like, this is a lot of responsibility for a coordinator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but it worked out well. Uh, when I rewatched the live stream and I was like, and I was so proud of that. I was like, man, that was crazy. But it ended up being like the highlight of my sports career was actually being a camera director for an event that you know no one cared about, no one sees about it anymore. But at the time, man, I was pumped. That's cool. Maybe it was like Karate Kid, like wax on, wax off. You, yeah. you saw it so many times, you know, you didn't and know you, know, you, you had it. the university there looking at the stream. You got the parents looking at the stream. So, you know, and then it's just like you're, and then, and then the company, you know, yeah. that you're working for. I mean, know? that's the most important, actually. Yeah, and with the I internet, like the you don't know. Good. Yeah, it's like with the internet, you don't know who's watching, but you, you should assume everyone's watching. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, you, so you finish 
or do, do you phase into your next stage? So here's what happened here, huh? you know, being in corporate America, um, uh, you, I had the luxury of being laid off twice and it wasn't due to performance. It was due to the sale of the business. So when I first started off in Turner Broadcasting, um, I worked for a network called Turner South and we owned the rights to the home Braves games at the time. So Atlanta Braves, we had all, all the rights to Atlanta Braves games. So I worked there for two years and then Fox Sports came in and said, like, hey, we have millions of dollars. We want to buy the rights to the home Braves games. And, and at the time, the company was like, great, they're going to pay this amount of money. We're going to take it. And this network is no longer going to exist. So we got all laid off. But some of the some of the writers uh, like Erica went to Fox Sports They're like, hey, we'll take some writers with us, too, who know how to write for sports. And at the time, I was just a PA. So I was like, I didn't have the I got laid off. I had to start over again as a temp. And then my boss at that time, he was like, I'm going to Turner Sports. I like you. I'm taking you with me. And I was like, oh, man. So that's, that's when I went to Turner Sports and became a coordinator and learned more about management at that point. Because as this coordinator, I was more managing people and logistics than doing just regular coordinator role. So that's why I landed at uh, Turner Sports working on a streaming platform. And I did that for two years. The business did well. They sold that business as well. <laughs> Yes. So now I'm getting light off again. I'm like, man, this is, this is, this is out of control now. So this is, you know, I worked for two years, got laid off, worked for another two years. I was like, and it was never my performance. It was never me. It was just, the, I was at the mercy of corporate America and the business. Mm-hmm. It was like, Hey, we like this platform. We're going to, we're going to buy it. We're going to make it better. And we'll take some of you with me. And I just happened to be not one of the persons that, that went. Um, they didn't offer me anything. So mm-hmm. here I am, um, about to be 30 years old, and I and I was and I was in the unemployment line. And I was pregnant. I was in Oh yeah. wow. You, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was with 30 years old. I, she was pregnant and I was this was in 2008. This is when the big crash, like the housing market crashed. Oh yeah. 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 It was a tough so time for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I had severance to, for for you know a few months, and but uh, looking for work, looking for jobs, and anywhere because I didn't have I I don't have pride in getting my way. I I work. My dad works. He was like, do anything you need to provide for your family, and I was yeah. like, I can't fail. Um, even though so even though I was in the unemployment line, I was still applying for jobs left and right because you gotta you gotta show what you've been doing in order to receive money. Yeah. And I remember, man, I, I remember cleaning up the house and doing all the grocery shopping and doing everything because I felt I felt a little bit unworthy because I didn't have a job. Yeah. And Erica, on the other hand, she was like, I like you being home. The house is clean. <laughs> I, I haven't gone to the grocery store in three months. She's like, the dogs are good. She was yeah. like, we need to figure out a way you could so you can stay home. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> It was great. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, no, I need to go back to work. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. so um, yeah, it was a little nerve wracking, man. I had, I was in the line I, and I, and it wasn't just me. I saw my veterinarian in there. I saw doctors in there. I was like, I saw p- real people with great careers due to the crash. In- that crash. Yeah. That it, it, was, it was stock market crash, but also the housing crisis, you know, yep. subprime loans. And so, yeah. you know, people were really, everybody was hurting at that time. Everybody. So. And I was, and I was a victim of one of it. We, I mean, as except a, for Erica. 
Yeah. Erica, Erica was still doing it. And, uh, and I was like, okay, you know, what do I do now? So I just like, I went back as a temp. And you know, I, I was, I was, I, I, by the grace of God, I was like, I'll apply for this temp job as an executive assistant on Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a three month uh, gig. And at that point I was on my way to being a manager in the corporate world, like sports or content making. So I was like, I don't want to be an executive system. I'm, I'm on the scale to be a manager. I know what I'm capable of. I have a lot of learning to do, but I have, I can bring value to a company because the whole point of me being laid off twice, it wasn't, they brought me back twice because I had value. So I knew that. And, um, so I started as a temp and on my 30th birthday, I remember I got the job on my birthday as a temp. And I was like, all right, this is, this is, this will last until Christmas. It was in October and it lasted the end of Christmas. And I remember setting up job, setting up interviews for my, the head of the Cartoon Network at the time uh, for the on-air department, setting up interviews for him to hire an executive assistant permanently, even though I was in a temp role. So he's like, hey, we're going to set up these interviews for people. So I set up like eight or nine interviews during that three-month time period. And at the same time, I'm doing his job. And at the same time, I'm applying for other jobs within the company because I knew I wanted to be in the field of content making um, in television. I, I just had a love for it. And I had a week left. And um, my boss was like, why haven't, me, why haven't me and you talked about this position He's like, I don't like everyone I'm interviewing. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I think we're talking tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. I have a meeting scheduled for that. He was like, good. I lied, but I made sure we... <laughs> <laughs> well, you were making the appointments like, anyway, right? So. Yeah, yeah. I, I handled his calendar anyway. <laughs> and I knew he was available from nine to nine thirty. That's his like, you know, like he gets there at 8.30. I was like, I was like, he's got a nine nine thirty email window and then meeting started. I was like, I was, I was like, I was like, no problem. We'll talk tomorrow at nine o'clock. Yes, sir. Yeah. And, and when I walked in the meeting, he was like, I'm, I want you to be my assistant. He's like, you're doing everything I want you to do. You're doing it well. I don't know why I'm talking to other people. He's like, he's like, are you interested? And I was like, yes, sir. And at that point, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to go out back into the field and look for and be unemployed. I was like, yes, sir. Yeah. And it was a, even though it was an executive assistant position, it was a blessing in disguise. Because mm-hmm. A manager can make or break you in the content industry. A good manager can make you, you know, can make or break you. They can be the best person or they can be the worst person. I happened to get real lucky. I had a good guy who allowed me to edit, who allowed me to write, who allowed me to work with graphics people, who allowed me to work with people like Erica, who are writer producers. And he was like, you do the executive assistant job. And then you figure out what exactly you want to do work on it, but make sure you do my job to hundred percent. And then you work on everything. So he let me do other things as long as I got his job done. And most managers won't do that. They want you to do your job and then that's it. He let me, he bought me Final Cut Pro on my machine. Like, and I was like, whoa, I was like, I already knew how to edit. I'm going to edit more stuff. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, I started as an as a executive assistant uh, in 2008 and, um, I was with Cartoon Network for four years. And I remember there's a show called Regular Show. I'm not sure if you've heard of it or not. Yeah, I know the show. It's a show called Regular Show. And what happened with Regular Show, we 
it was, I loved it. I loved it so much, man. I, it was like my favorite show on Cartoon Network. And this guy named Billy Cohn did this like catchphrase um, after the first season. He did this minute reel. And it was all, it was all catchphrases from, and sound bites from the show. And it was just different characters saying different stuff, but it all flowed. And it was the funniest thing. I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. I want to do a second version of that. And so the second season came out and they did a, and they did a whole season. I was like, I'm going to talk to that guy who did the first one. I'm going to say, Hey, I know this is your funny thing you did a year ago. Do you mind if I, if you mind if I try to do a funny one, just, just for kicks, you know, I, I learned how to edit and all that stuff. But he's like, I just want to do it for fun. Just to, just to sharpen up my tools. And I love the show. So I did a second version of it and with new, with new content, I did a second version and I laughed because it was my my baby. I showed it. I showed it to the head of the, my boss, who was the head of the on air department at the time. He laughed. He was like, "Oh, that's." He's like, "That's not bad." He's like, "That's just as funny as the first one, if not funnier." He was like, "Maybe we'll." He's like, "He's like, I'll show it to marketing. Maybe we'll put it on Facebook." I was like, "Really?" And I was. He was like, "Yeah, maybe we'll put it on Facebook." I was like, "Okay," and I let it go. And I was just working on other stuff. And then three months went by. I remember three months went by, and. um, I was still doing the executive assistant job, you know, trying to work my way up in corporate America. And he comes to my, he comes to my cube. He's like, yeah, you remember that catchphrase thing you did uh, three months ago? I was like, yeah, with regular show for marketing. Yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like, that's going to go into the movie theaters. That's going to be pre-roll in the movie theaters. He's like, that's going to go on a national cinema platform. You can no longer work for me. I'm sending you over to Adele Swim. So that's how that happened. And he was like, you need to go into an edit suite with a real editor, clean this up, make it tight, because that's going into movie theaters. Yeah, and, wow. I mean, we're on a roll, but I kind of have to stop you there. Yeah. But you wrote something in my notes, and this is this is really important. And this also plays into what Erica does. And I right. just want to get into some logistics, is creating opportunities. So. Right. In creating this opportunity for yourself or creating this promo, you were creating an opportunity for yourself. So you were paying it forward for yourself. Right. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. It was wild because I go ahead. No, no, no. It's wild. I want to hear about why it was wild because I didn't I didn't know I didn't know what to think. I was like. I was like, this was just supposed to die on Facebook or die in a meeting in the conference room. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. And, and I, I honestly was just doing it for editorial purposes, just to sharpen up my skills. Because my, I remember saying to myself, if I can work with my hands in the content industry, I'm more marketable. I'm more valuable. If I know how to edit something, if I know how to write something, if I know how to clip something, I'm more valuable. Yeah. That was the purpose of the of the whole experiment just to keep on editing it for fun yeah but oftentimes the things that we do that we put our heart and soul into it because that was for fun are the things that resonate with other people so right yeah um i just want to talk i just want to you know put a a brief pause on this journey and and, Mm -hmm. and talk about the production you know so the producing of that piece for you but Mm -hmm. erica the producing in general for pieces that you do. Can you guys talk a little bit about, and I don't care if you stop and start on each other, um, about producing and what it takes to produce a piece of content? So usually you'll get an assignment. This is your assignment. This is what you're promoting. This is your deadline. 
and these are your um, restraints or restrictions. Mm -hmm. And then usually someone like me, who's the creative end of the stick, (laughs) will, you know, go and start writing concepts. And then they'll also work with maybe a production manager mm-hmm. who has a talent for logistics. I mean, he's, he's lucky because he's creative as well, but um, he also is blessed with the talent of organizing and crossing all your T's and dotting all your, all your eyes. So creative people can do what they do best mm-hmm. uh, and people get paid, right. <laughs> which is very right. important. Right. Cause as a, as a writer, cause I work with a team of writers all the time now and, and I work with a team of editors all the time and sound designers. So I manage, uh, you know, several folks. And so I work with people. My goal, my job is I work with people like Erica content, create like, promo creators and my job is that they have a if they have a concept that gets approved whether it be animation or claymation or just graphics or that I was like okay here's the time I was like my job is to get them the resources they can they need to complete what they envision in creating that promo so it's like oh you want to do animation great I know several animations company I know this, we can do, we can do it in this time frame and this for this amount of money. Great. You want this voiceover person? I have several I can I can recommend and get for you. So I'll work with them to get them the right VL person, the right animation company, the right uh production company if they're gonna do a shoot, the right location. So my job is to make sure that I I am the supporting cast to the writers, to the content creators. So when they start working on their project, everything is lined up for them to to succeed and put it on air. Um, yeah. And what that part is, making sure that everyone who they come in contact to who helps with this gets paid. <laughs> yeah, th- that's the most important part. Yeah. But, um, for us. Mm-hmm. But having being someone who has created, you know, so you created this piece of content yourself from soup to nuts. Mm-hmm. Did you go through that traditional path? Did you write what you wanted to affect within that particular promo piece? Or did you just start cutting? Did you have a game plan in terms of what you were going to do? So that particular promo piece, I didn't want to use any of the same sound bounds for the previous one. You know what I mean? So I was like, let me use different sound bites and let me, and there's new characters. I was like, let me add some new characters, but uh, let me have a different, let me start it with the same. So everyone's like, oh, I, I've heard this before. And then start changing the momentum in the middle of the promo uh, and then end it differently. Um, so I had a good concept in my head, but it really just came from watching deep diving into the show and pulling out funny sound bites and then trying to make sound bites match each other, you know, ah. like tell a story. So that was the whole purpose of it. And then make sure it kind of flowed with, with the sound bites kind of came all together and make sure it hit a, you know, at that time was a minute. And I was like, I don't want to go over a minute because right at that at that point you can just lose your audience, you know. So I didn't have any writing involved in Netflix one, but there was some stuff where I'd worked on writing for a Saturday morning lineup or Cartoon Network because it was it was one of like the lower tier kind of like writing assignments at that time. And our writers were doing so much other priority projects. And I was like, I'll take Saturday morning lineup, I'll write for it. I rose my hand, I was like, I'll write for it, I'll write for it. I was like, why not? And I was like, I, if I fail, another writer is going to do it anyway. So, and another writer is like, I have other stuff to do. So like, hopefully you succeed. And I worked with a creative director and 
he's like Erica, he's a word junkie. And he was like, no, no, no. And I rewrite it and rewrite it. He's like, no. And then I got better and I got better. And next thing you know, I wrote several lineup promos for Saturday morning cartoons. And it was just great. And it was just more like, it helped me appreciate how hard it is to write for something that seems simple when you watch it on television. Yeah. I was like, that promo and I was like, why did it take me two weeks to write that thing? Right. That lasted 30 seconds on TV. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that oftentimes the smaller pieces are harder. You know, when we talk about, you know, writing a script, but then, you, you know, you have to write the log line, the synopsis, which is smaller, and then mm-hmm. the log line, which is oftentimes the hardest thing to do because you, more often than not, you only have time to pitch a log line first. So it has to catch you, you know? Right. Um, oftentimes the smaller pieces can be harder, but in the realm of, you know, cartoons and animation, and you know, you know that I work in animation, you know, there's so much room to breathe there. And these shows are really smart shows, you know, so it's not just thinking, you know, that you're going to work on something because it's, you know, for younger kids or may feel more simplistic, especially now the animated pieces are, you know, super complex, but they feel, they have the feeling of simplicity. So, but this is, you know, at the top of the key, I called you guys a power couple and the dynamics for me are really playing out because you're both left, left brain, right brain, you know, bouncing Mm -hmm. back and forth with each other. You know, um, Jonathan, you have an understanding, a deeper understanding for the creatives and it feels like Erica, you have a deeper understanding for people that come in with the cross the T and dot the I, the more um, structured part of it. So I can imagine, you know, when you guys have this, you know, dinner table conversation, you know, the things that go back and forth. Right. Like I get how hard it is to be a writer. Like I get how hard, how time consuming it can be. I understand how hard it is to edit edit something over when you're on the ninth version and then 12th version and then 13th version. You're like, like I understand that these people can get it right away or they need more time. So I, I, as a manager, it helped me go through that process and help me appreciate like, Hey, I need to be flexible. And I also need to be resourceful so they can execute their projects. And on the other side, I really appreciate, you know, all the folks who work in more logistical roles because, you know, I can come up with these ambitious ideas, but somebody has to go to the music publishers and license the music and clear it, you know, so that we can use a popular track. Somebody in the legal department has to comb over, you know, the promo and make sure that, you know, we're not going to get sued for something that we've put on air. Somebody in the broadcast standards and practices department has to look at our content and make sure that we're FCC compliant. You know, there are so many different people that go into making sure that, you know, what we're doing is above board. I worry about the creative. I worry about the ambitious ideas, but somebody has to balance out the creative with, you know, logic and rules and regulations and budgets and timelines and and all that stuff that we need to make sure we're producing content and getting it where it needs to go on time 
and on budget. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, me being a producer, writer and director and, and you know, running a multimedia company, I lean on my producing partners to do a lot of that, you know, kind of tough logistical things. And so trust me, I, I understand that. Um, I want to just move a little bit further into your career, Jonathan, because we left you here at Cartoon Network. I kind of left you hanging. Um, yeah, yeah. But you, you currently work at Adult Swim. Now, it's yes. the same. It's under the umbrella of the same company, right? It's under the Cartoon Network. Yeah, we're all Warner, Warner Media. And, and Adult Swim is basically the nighttime block of a Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network's 14 hours of the day. Adult Swim is 10 hours of the, of the day. So we're, we're the night block um, for Cartoon Network. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, go ahead, sir. How do you how do you bridge from Cartoon Network to Adult Swim? What happened there? So when I went over to Adult Swim, since I edited something, they're like, "Hey, we're looking for a coordinator at the time, and also an an, an edit assist." But the edit assist was really like, "Hey, we need another editor, and we need a coordinator. We don't have the headcount to do both. Let's see if Jonathan can do it." You know, so it was funny because I would go in and that's when I start working on the Toonami block with anime stuff. And I was then I was working more uh, with real, you know, editors and sound designers and other writers more intimately than I was at Cartoon Network as an executive. system. I was like in a post house with these guys daily. Well, it felt like a post house, even though it was the network. Yeah. Um, and I remember I would edit something real good that week and I was like, oh, this is great. But I would fall behind with the production coordinator role with with making sure that the you know the graphics are correct making sure that the vo is paid making sure that the ratings bug is correct so i'd forget all these little logistics stuff to the side but i edited something real cool real real cool promo and the next week i would focus on the logistics and edit something terrible and it went on for like a year and my boss was like you need to make a decision today do you want to be an editor or do you want to be or do you want to manage editors and i was like I want to help manage con. Uh, I want to help promote content as a whole, all of our content. And I think I'm more resourceful in that area than I am an editor. Um, I loved editing with my passion, but I, I knew that it, it, I like to work with people more. I didn't want to be in, the, in an edit suite all day long. I like working with people. Um, and then it became the like, you know, I started working with, now I'm managing the editor's schedule, schedules. Now I'm working with the sound designers, managing his schedule. Now I'm working with the writers, giving them timelines. And now I'm working with different marketing departments, .com. I'm working with different studios, giving all these resources. So now my whole job description had opened up to a world of people that I had to, you know, work with, understand their timelines, understand their, what they're capable of so I can get the writers and our editors and our creative directors the assets they need to complete a project like a trailer or a promo and like stuff that everything that Erica is doing that they need. So it was great because I got to work with a lot more people in departments. And that led, um, you know, a few years back down the line, it was like, he's good enough. Let's get, you know, he's he deserves to be a manager. Great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. wow. <laughs> so... We're going to kind of stop you there because you two are now working for the same company, just in different 
I mean, they are separate companies, you know, TNT. Well, I'm still with Warner Media. She's freelance now, so she can work from whoever she wants. <laughs> we're not there yet, but we're not there. But at the time, yes, yes. At the time, we were. Correct, yes, yes. At the time, we were. Yeah. It was crazy, because we even though we were for the same company, I would never see her. I would never oh, really? see Like, we were on different parts of the campus and stuff. I would, yeah. It was like she worked in a different land. You know, I would never like, see her. Hey, hey, baby. Um, you know, let's mm-hmm. meet, uh, you know, in between, it it. Oh, no, I'm way over here. I'm way over there. It's like working for two separate companies. That, that yeah, it really was. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Erica, so you're TNT, TBS, you're cutting promos, you're doing promos. Your evolution is still happening though. You know, you're, you're evolving. I want to talk about one of my favorite films of all time, Black Panther. Yes. You get an assignment to cut something for Black Panther. Can you talk about that? So the studio came to us and they wanted a custom promotion that would only air on TNT. And, you know, when I thought about Black Panther, I'm like, it has, you know, such a cool vibe. You know, why not create a custom music track inspired by all the sounds from the movie, even the, you know, the Wakanda Forever call out that they use in the film. So we use that as a lyric in our sort of custom music bed that we created. Um, And, you know, when we presented that idea to the studio, they bought in from the start. I mean, they love the idea. They're like, go for it. So I went to my favorite, you know, audio place in Atlanta, Soundbite Atlanta. They they do amazing work. And I said, look, we have a Black Panther spot. We have a we have an opportunity to create something awesome. And audio gets to drive this time. Usually the editor starts, pictures come first, and then the audio sort of supports what the editor has created and, and elevates it and makes it even better. But this time we were putting the cart before the horse and we started with the audio. And so the sound designers over at Soundbite were just, they were like, this is a great opportunity. You know, we get to drive. We get to be that driving force behind the pacing and the feel and the tone of it. And so once we got that audio bed laid down and we loved how it sounded, we loved the rhythm of it. We loved the bass. We loved the quote unquote lyrics that we used from from the movie trailer. We loved, you know, everything about how it sounded. Now it was time to take that audio to a brilliant editor um, by the name of Trisha. I mean, Trisha Carey, like she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Trish Carey, I'm going to drop that name. She's, yeah. she's awesome. You, do you work with her too, Jonathan? I've, I haven't worked directly with her, but I've seen a lot of her work and I want to. Um, but she's oh, she's always booked, man. She's a, she's she's just oh, she's wow. awesome, and yeah. she's like a, a silent asset. She's quick, she's fast, and she gets timing and rhythm with music with different genres of music. Yeah. That's something you just gotta have in you. Yeah, okay. you can't teach it. You can't teach an editor to cut to a certain track. They just gotta feel it and got it. She has that it. Yeah, we'll have to, to interview her for the podcast and one of the. <laughs> And in one of our upcoming episodes. Yes, so you're, you're working with her. And so we, I brought the audio to her and she was totally up for the challenge. 
And she, I mean, she's a magician. She did such beautiful work on this piece to make, you know, the video line up with what the, the story that the audio was telling us. And, you know, we were all so proud of that piece when it, when it went on air and, you know, we obviously didn't do it for accolades. We did it for the love of the job. And, you know, quite frankly, to, you know, please a client (laughs) and hopefully that client would come back and want to do more things on the network. And we ended up getting a sound design award for it. Like it was the most random thing. Like we never really expected it. Uh, uh, But and we loved them. And she loved them. We loved the movie. So it was like, you never really get a chance to work. I mean, who you you don't sometimes you don't as in, in the industry you don't get a chance to work on a movie promo, especially a movie that you really like. Yeah, and we were like, we love Black Panther, and I was like, I was like, wait, you working on that? I was like, <laughs> man, I mean, I was like, I didn't care what you did. I was like, that's just gonna be fun regardless. I was like, even though you work with studios and make yeah. sure they're satisfied with the promo, which is there's they're giving her restrictions. Uh, you know, you know, it's like, hey, here's a here oh, the, let's say parameters. Parameters, parameters. Yeah, that's a better word for it. They're gonna parameters because you know to stay within the network guidelines, so forth. I was like, man, that's awesome. So I was, I was like, that's that's great. And then and it turned out it turned out awesome. Yeah, I, I love that. Kind of for it. Yeah. Sound. I mean, people don't realize sound is half of it. You know, literally, it's half of it. And I tell my students, you know, if you mess up on the sound, whether you're on site and you know, we just we shot a feature, we just shot a feature film. And, you know, you have to have your sound person, you know, and if you don't capture that sound there, it's a lot of work, ADR and things afterwards. So and that's just for, you know, the vocal part of it. But in terms of the music, so when you add the music, that's another layer and the sound effects. And then that's another layer that ultimately adds up to about half of the battle. So, you know, I have a strong appreciation for that. My Company also does, you know, we have a comic book that has a, um, you know, a, a podcast attached to it that you listen as you read, and the story is like that. So, man, kudos! That's 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 a big big deal, and yeah. award winning on top of that. Award winning, yeah. and the thing about it is, most viewers will not even notice the audio. They, well, they notice even, it if it's bad. They'll, well, they'll notice it if it's bad, but if it's done right. It'll again, it'll elicit that emotional response mm-hmm. and it'll punctuate whatever is going on on, you know, in the scene and people will feel something, but they won't necessarily know why they felt it. Right. And it's because a great sound designer has punctuated the scene or punctuated the promo in a way that just elevates it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, then uh, didn't the studios get a hold of they Then they want. So. She yeah. didn't tell you this part. Like, <laughs> that's why I have you both on of, here. On top of winning an award, the studios contacted her about the track. Yeah, oh, they, wow. they asked for the audio track so that they could utilize it in whatever way they wanted to utilize it. That's how much they loved it. I'm not exactly sure how they used it, but I do know that we sent it to them. And, yeah. you know, maybe it found a second life elsewhere. Man, that might even be the biggest... <laughs> congratulatory part of it. I mean, you know, when you get that type of adulation and you get that type of note, it, it could feel like um, nothing better. So 
Definitely. Yeah, Definitely. you get a clap, a hand clap for that. I had, get, I had to get an auditory. I'm cheering through this whole thing. You guys can't. We we could see each other, but the audience, you know, they can't they can't see me. So, but um, yeah. So so that's great. So I'm gonna catch up to now, Jonathan. We got a little bit ahead of ourselves, you know. Yeah. But I'm gonna catch up to now. So um, I'm gonna jump to Jonathan, and then I'll get back to you, Erica. So Jonathan, you so then you know you move to Adult Swim. You're doing production managing full-time mm-hmm. what does your job entail now i mean so, you did talk a lot about it before yeah, yeah. but can you give me more specifics so yeah uh the nuts and bolts of it as, as i worked my way into the managerial position um i started to work on show launches now so i started working on new season premieres for shows which is at that point as a manager in a network, you that's like a gold nugget. It's like, hey, we entrust you to work on a new show or a new season of a the same show coming out. So like in that part of it was now I get like I work with a team of like a writer, a creative director, a sound designer, and a graphics person. And we say like, all right, we all come together and the writer will write a concept. Hey, we watched several episodes of the new show here's some concepts for the trailers. And then we also work on what we call weekly topicals. So you'd be like next week on uh, so-and-so tonight on so-and-so. So our, now with a new show launch, you are in charge of making a trailer with a group, with, a, with the, with the creators of it. And also you're in charge of getting it out to the social team, getting it out to billboards around this around different cities like Atlanta and LA and New York and getting short clips of it out on the internet to help um, stir the pot for people to get excited about the new uh, season or the new show that's coming out. So with all these moving parts is my, my job is to make sure that these things roll out in a timely manner where it's not rolling all, all at one time and it just feels scatterbrained. It's like, hey, here's something, here's a trailer. Hey, here's a here's a clip of it on YouTube. Hey, here's a here's a soundbite from it here to keep people engaged. And then all of a sudden, boom, the trailer comes out, full trailer, you know, and then two weeks later the show is starts and premieres. Full campaigns. Full campaigns from beginning to end. And in the middle of those campaigns, we have different milestones, like, hey, we let's create an animated piece to help to help uh, promote the show in a different in a different light, whether it be a live action show or an animated show, let's create something to keep it fresh for our audience. So that's kind of my role now is I'm working on several show launches now, and I've been working on last year on top of, if you know Adele Swim, on top of cons that we do, like we were part of Dragon Con, we we're part of Comic Con, we do Adele Swim Music Festival. So it's like all these other things are happening at the same time as well as show launches. So that's kind of like my role. It's like I help with uh, help with the cons and I help with festivals. And I also got to make sure I, I do these show launches with my creative directors, with my writers, with my editorial staff. Um, so it's a full campaign as before I was just working on a one promo. I was like, Hey, here's a promo. It's the, you know, the fifth promo inside the season next week on, it was like, no, you're not working on the next week. You're working on the short trailer. You're working on the long trailer. You're working on all the promos for a week. You're working on all the graphics uh, to make sure that these people uh, can execute what they have envisioned people like Erica and people like the editors and so forth. Yeah. So, 
Um, I want to talk about the music festival in just a minute. Can you just talk about some of the, or mention some of the shows that you've uh, intersected with? Yeah, so when the music festival is, it's something unique in an adult. Well not, well, not the music festival, in, but just in general. Just some in general. That, yeah, some of the shows that yeah. you've intersected with within the parameters of, you know, being the manager. Yes. Content. So content. As to echo what Erica was saying, music is super important. Um, when it comes to promoting any type of content, right? Super important. And one of my one of my roles is I got to make sure that whatever music we they want or the writer wants, we can get it licensed. We can get it acquired. It's a part of our library for a certain period of time. Um, working in the certain networks I work with, we have we work with. I'm had the luxury where I can work with different artists from overseas, from in town Atlanta, from LA. I can actually, uh, in the environment that I'm in, I'm connected to a lot of different musical artists just from being around the media content world who I've actually got the chance to work with to do custom tracks for promos that we have done. Like I've seen artists come into the building. I'm like, wait a minute, is that so-and-so? Is that like, is that? I was like, did this Killer Mike just walk into the building and didn't do, you know, like he did the season uh, three opening uh, for Boondocks. And I was Killer Mike comes in, he was like, starts rapping. I'm like, wait a minute, is he rapping for Boon? what? And you know, I wasn't, I wasn't on that campaign, but I was like, and the next thing you know, I see the and I see the graphics. I see the, like a rough cut of it. I was like, that it is amazing, you know what I mean? And I wasn't. I was like, I want to get a chance to work with these others. I want to work, you know. And I had to earn my stripes to get to that position, um, where I can work with artists within certain parameters if we have within certain budgets if we have it, um, which is great because uh, you know there's a lot of the, the music industry. It's so big. It's so there's so many people, um, and I'm just one. I'm I'm lucky to uh, actually work with a bunch of people in this industry who love our network and want to work with us. So I don't really have to like. Uh, I don't really have to beg. Uh, which is <laughs> I can be like, hey, I'm, I like to work with you. They're like, great. I mean, I, I know who you are. I was like, really? I was like, all right. And I'm like, I beg. I know you. Know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is really cool because, you know, you're at a point in your career where you can call some of the shots. Right. So that's awesome. Erica, I, I want to get to you in a minute because we're, now we're in the area. You know, I'm fans of your of your power coupleness. Um, but I, I, so I want to get now to, uh, you know, what you guys are doing currently, Erica. Now you're freelancing. Is this correct? Correct. Yeah. And so one of my favorite shows, when, when I saw this, you know, on, on your on the, on your bio, I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, you've done stuff for Blackish, which is one of my favorite shows. It's a show that, um, you know, I share with my brother. So um, Blackish and Mixedish and these shows. So you're doing work with ABC now in your freelance capacity, um, which is like so awesome. So can you talk a little bit about um, 
how this transpired and some of the things that you do. So um, I made the connection over there um, through mutual colleagues and, you know, they were gracious enough to give me an opportunity to come and work with them. And, you know, I've done some some cool stuff. I mean, it's it helps when you are a fan of what you are working on. Um, And. In addition to that, I've also partnered with a few different colleagues over there to do, you know, a Black history campaign, which feels like you're doing something, like it feels like you're making a difference when you can work on something that's going to educate or that's going to inspire or that's going to uplift others. So, you know, it it may not be as, you know, it may not have as much notoriety as, you know, a hit show that's on the network, but it's a cause that's close to my heart. So, yeah, but but especially now it does have as much notoriety. I mean, we're going to this is airing, you know, right off of the heels of Black History Month. And there's so much going on around the world in terms of, you know, this outreach for diversity. So it is international at this point. So yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, would you say that in, in your capacity in as, you know, a freelancer, are you pulling on the same skill set? Are you doing a lot of the same things in terms of writing and putting pieces together? A little bit. Um, I'll say I am focusing a lot on promos for broadcast and for, you know, Facebook, um, the uh, YouTube, wherever you might see promos. Um, so I'm focusing a lot on that. But then I've done, you know, a corporate video as well, <laughs> something that I hadn't done before. And that was just a different skill set because it's less, um, what do I want to say? Like, I guess it's more structured. Yeah. And you're trying to hit certain points in a corporate video that, you aren't necessarily held to and something that's more creative. So I enjoy working on that. And then I freelanced a bit for Showbiz Cheat Sheet, which is an entertainment news site where, you know, I've written about television shows and movies and musical artists. And um, so that's a whole different skill set when you're writing an article for fans of entertainment. Yeah. I mean, that's great. That's, the written version of what we're doing here at Screen Heat Miami. I love it. I love it. So, um, Jonathan, you're doing something that's close to my heart as well, or part of your job is something that's close to my heart, which is the music festival. You work on that, that, uh, that Adult Swim, Adult Swim has. So can you talk a little bit about the music festival and what you guys do with that? So yeah, um, I think we've done it for two years. I didn't have the music festival the first year we did it a couple of years ago. Um, I wasn't so much in, involved in it. Uh, it was new. So it was like every all senior level management, all the people that had the connection with the artists. It was like, what artists do we want to promote? What shows do we want to promote? So I was just kind of got a, the guy that was holding down the fort back at home while the festival was going on, you know, on the West Coast. They're like, you hold it down. We're going to see how this goes. And then we'll figure out if it does well, since Adult Swim is so unique when it comes to music and promos, we'll see what happens next year. So the following year is when I got 
they pulled me in and I was like, hey, <laughs> Jonathan's likable. <laughs> this is how I, this is how I interpret it. Like Jonathan's likable. He gets along. He knows some of the artists through emails. He because you know when I'm asked to license their music, they're like like have Jonathan do it. So like they'll come through me and I'll you know I'll just I know working with the managers a lot then or the reps, and then music festival part two comes rolls around and now I'm involved in the process, and one of my roles there was like hey. We had, it was a three-day festival. We had performers each day. We had tw- several performers each day. And my and my key role was once they're done performing, and before going out there, it was like, hey, we, we, need, we need to get them for an interview to tell them, to ask, what, how was, how did you see the, like, how did, you, how was your experience at the festival before you performed? Did you get around? Did you walk around? How was it during, how was your performance? How do you feel about it? And what are you going to do right now? Are you can still hang out with us. So my job at the festival was to go run and get the artist to come and do interviews with us, even though it was our festival. But sometimes, you know, we do our festival and you, and you pay the artist. Sometimes they just want to do the festival perform and they got, they got other shows, other gigs, they got to do stuff. You I mean, that's, this is their former living. So they don't have a lot of time, but I was able to grow relationships where, people would give me the time. And that's what made, and that's why they're like, send Jonathan to the festival, help him get the interviews. Some reason why people give him time. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember, I remember helping out one artist. I didn't even know who she, I didn't know who she was at the time. Didn't know that I I remember helping one artist. She came and I was just, uh, I was just, uh, she, it was an artist with a family and I didn't know she was an artist. It seemed like she, she was lost in the backstage area. So I thought she was just a family member of an artist. So I was like, hey, do you, do you need me? And I was just running around the back. I was like, hey, do you need help? Do you need, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, how can I help you out? How can I help you out? And I was like, are you trying to get to a certain place? There's like, hey, I'm looking to, I have an interview with so-and-so. It's a different part of, it was like a, either with the dot-com team or marketing team. I was like, yo, I'll, I'll walk you over there. No problem. Like, what about my kids? I was like, we can take them with us. And I was like, it's, it's cool. I'll, I'm just here to help at this point. Fast forward an hour later, we're interviewing this artist. And now I talk to her regularly and we license more music from her. And she talks to me directly, like I asked John to talk to her. And like, I'm like, I was like, wait, that's so-and-so? I didn't even know. <laughs> and, 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 and next thing you know, next year we license a bunch of tracks from her. She's like, hey, Jonathan, what's going on? I'm like, I didn't know at the time. I'm just trying to right. help someone out. But it was like my job was to go get interviews from artists like uh, Don Richard and IDK and Big Frida and these people who come in who performed at the festival and then come on in. So it was really and Run the Jewels was there and to get those guys. So it was even though I'm not their main point of contact, I was for that for that event. For that event, I was the guy that kind of helped wrangle them and get them in there because. Some artists, you know, dealing with music and creative people, sometimes they don't want to be bothered. Yeah. So you gotta you true. gotta just gauge the temperature of their attitude. Sometimes you gotta approach you gotta approach their friend, like, hey, is he is he cool to come right now? Is he cool to come right now? You know what I mean? Like uh one of the times I knew an artist didn't want to do anything and he performed and he had this kind of cool looking mask when he performed. I was like, wait a minute, I've used that mask before in a in a shoot that I've done for like a fun video. So like I happened like, you know, like to like 
kind of make sure I walked near him one time. I was like, I was like, yo, that match was funny. I was like, that was an awesome bit. He's like, I was like, I did a, I did a thing like that with a video. So I showed him a little quick video of that. I was like, I shot this video with that same mask. And he was like, cracking up. I was like, yeah, man. I was like, hey, I was like, hey, I think we have you for an interview scheduled, you know, that passed an hour ago. He's like, do you have some time? He's like, yeah, man, I'll make some time. I got, I got a couple minutes. I'll make some time for you. And that's how you got to gauge the temperature of the room. Cause this guy was on his way out the door. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was like, I'm, I'm out. I performed, I did my job, You bet I'm out. And I was just like, you gotta be tackled with your approach and to get these people. And now he, now we're cool. Now he knows who I am and his managers are cool with me. And I'm like, it just takes a, a friendly hand to be, to help be more resourceful and help be more productive in producing content. And then that's yeah. another avenue. That's another person who I can like potentially call if I want to license some track from this gentleman. It's about human connection. I mean, yeah. no matter what you're doing, making those connections and making authentic connections and not being fake because yeah. people can sniff that out. And um, so, and he's brilliant when it comes to that because he actually is, he actually is a nice guy. Like he's not putting <laughs> on. Like the, what yeah, you see, right. what you get. Yeah. I know when sure. John, Jonathan and I, <laughs> um, we, we, we met at a, a Starbucks and That's right. I think, I think I took a little bit longer than, than, than we said for the meeting. Yeah. And Jonathan was like, Oh man, it's cool. It's okay. You know, yeah. and I was there, you know, on my capacity and expansion of my company and stuff like that. So I kind of had time, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, um, really maybe it was no, issue you know but uh, Jonathan really did make me feel like it was like nothing at all so certainly um that is a, a, a great point and I feel that from both of you I mean I could feel the success of you as a power couple because of that energy that comes from both of you um a lot of people but don't realize no 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 it's all about trying to say talking about success you know, we also have to ask ourselves, who else can we put on? Who else can we help? I can remember years ago, years ago, I was working on Tyler Perry's House of Pain promos on TBS. And I thought it was a no brainer to book a black VO artist. It had never occurred to anybody else. No one else at the time was using a black VO artist for anything. Now, I'm not going to say he was the first on the network because I don't know for sure. But I can tell you that we had no black VO artist in our you know, Rolodex that we were currently using. Right. And I said, y'all, we got to fix this. So... You know, I found a guy, you know, who had done a bunch of radio ads. His name is Donovan Cornitz. And I can remember listening to his reel. I can't even remember how I came across it, but I can remember listening to his reel. And I was like, this dude has a good voice. He has a really, you know, great delivery. I think he has a lot of potential. Let's try it. And so I pitched it to the higher ups. And I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. And so Donovan started as the voice of house of pain on TBS. And we used him, you know, over and over and over again, 
And then I started branching out and using him for other pieces that were not necessarily, you know, quote unquote, black content, you know, content by a black creator with the black cast. I was using him for other things because obviously he shouldn't be put in a box. Yeah. Period. You know, that was his start on TBS, but it wasn't the end for him. And now he's doing like he's blown up. He's doing a ton of stuff. And, you know, he he had the talent. He just hadn't had the opportunity yet. Yeah. So when we're in these positions of influence, it's up to us to try to bring somebody else along. I love it. And, you know, I work with quite a few celebrities, but a lot of them that I've worked with, I knew them before anybody. Well, not anybody, because, you know, family and your friends and stuff like that. But before they became big things. And Jonathan, when you were telling this this other story, it made me think about uh, Danny Glover narrates one of my documentaries. And yeah, yeah, I watched that. I watched a little bit of of that piece. Yeah. And man, was I intimidated when, you know, he agreed to do it. I mean, he didn't agree through me. He agreed through, you know, his right. um, his coordinator. And when I still didn't believe it until he showed up at the studio that, you know, he was going to actually do the voiceover. But, you know, these are the regular people, too. And so when you understand that, you know, when I say they're regular people, you know, they have their loves and their things that they still aspire for. And and so that connection on the human level, both um, with people that are well-known and then people that we pay it forward with, you know, yeah. and, and then they blow up right. um, is, I, I think, you know, one of the most important things, yeah. you know, I feel Absolutely. that it's one of the most important things. It is. So, Absolutely. And then there yeah. are so many, you know, underrepresented groups in the media, in front of and behind the scenes. So when we are hiring, when we are, when we are choosing production companies, when we are casting, when we are, you know, hiring writers to punch something up, we need to think about widening that net so that we are including people in that pool, creative people in that pool from all walks of life. Because honestly, it's not only is it the right thing to do, but it's good business. You get a better product. Yes. Yeah. And when, <laughs> when it has that connection, that heart and soul, then that heart and soul comes through. And whether it's the performance or whether it's the piece or whatever it is. So yeah. as we move towards the tail end, you always hate that when you come to this moment, when you're moving to the tail end. But, you know, we don't want it to be three hour. Uh, in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people may not plug in. Um, we always have a cap and it's a two question cap. So however you guys want to, you know, Divide it up. Divide it up. You will divide um, it up. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first question is, if you could go back and talk to your self before you were in your career, before you even got started, let's say your 16-year-old self or 18-year-old self or maybe even earlier, uh, what would you tell yourself? What advice maybe that you would give yourself? I have a piece of advice that I give myself and that I've I've actually given to up and comers recently. Um, Find a mentor. Find somebody who is doing 
exactly what you want to do, exactly how you want to do it and ask them to mentor you. Um, That's a really good piece of advice. Yeah. Like soak up that information, (laughs) soak up that advice, ask questions, you know, make your mistakes and learn from them. But if you have a mentor that has your back, and that's willing to actually invest some time into you, it can make a world of a difference. I did not have that. And looking back, um, it made things harder than maybe they would have been had I had someone more seasoned to look up to and to go to for advice. Wow. That's a, that's part of the second part of the question, but that's good. You know, you kind of, covered that. I'm still going to go back to the second part, the second question anyway, but uh, that's great. Uh, Jonathan, what would you tell your 18 year old self? You're getting ready to leave Howard or you're leaving Howard. You have your degree in your hand. Yeah. What would you tell yourself? I would have told myself at the time, um, pick up, I should have told myself, pick up a camera earlier, get behind the camera uh, now to understand how hard it is to make a a good piece of content for people to want to tune in and view it. So just pick, go buy it, go buy a cheap camera, man, go buy a cheap camera, pick it up and, um, and just do something with it. I wish I would have had some, um, uh, a mentor in that area as well to help me with that. But I would tell my 22 year old self, go to target, go to Walmart, buy a camera, make something and then see it and see what you can do with it. And I wish I would have started that creativeness earlier in my career. Wow. Um, that's also addressing, you know, understanding the whole of it. So this is the second part and maybe you guys have already answered it, but maybe you have a little bit to add to it. And the second part is what advice would you give both up and comers and people in the industry, people that are, you know, pushing to move forward in whatever it is they're doing. Don't surround yourself with people who are just like you. Um, Diversify your network of colleagues and learn from them. Um, And when I say diversify, I'm not just talking about skin color. I'm talking about country of origin. I'm talking about political background or affiliation, religious background or affiliation area of the country you live in, people with different viewpoints, people with different experiences, people of different ages, because there is so much that you can learn from people who are not like you by just listening, you know, and listening to understand and to put yourself in that person's shoes, whatever there's, whether they are, you know, whether they have red bottom shoes, <laughs> right? Or whether they have hand-me-downs, like putting yourself in someone's shoes and really listening to, to what they have to offer. You can learn so much. And then what you put out is that much richer. Wow. That is, well, you did add on to, add, add on to that advice you were giving, you would give yourself back when you were, uh, leaving Howard University. So that's that's tremendous there. Um, I don't know if we have any space <laughs> to add on to that, but Jonathan. That was, that was good. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what, what advice would you give to up-and-comers um, and, and also people in the industry that are moving through their career? 
I, I, my, I, I went into a high school twice in the last two years. Uh, my, my friend who's a uh, teacher, art teacher at high school. And I talk to these students because I talk, I like to talk to young artists and animators and artists and so forth. And I tell them, and I was like, look, you're, you're always going to grind. I was like, the grind doesn't stop. They looked at me and they're like, oh, you're successful. I was like, man, I'm grinding right now. Like I'm truly grinding. Like there's, you know, I'm in the corporate world, but I, I am just like co- corporate world. I can, they can let me go tomorrow. You know I mean? They can let, and I still had to, I still am grinding, trying to put people on, trying to put people. So like I tell the young people, I was like, look, grinding doesn't stop until you retire. I, I was like, where you at right now at 18, 19 year old, you think you're grinding? And I was like, look, I'm doing it right now. And you think I'm doing well. Yeah, I, I, I'm doing fine, but I'm truly grinding. And like that doesn't, it doesn't stop. And I, so be prepared for that and then try to enjoy success comes um, in small moments. You know what I mean? It's like, that was good. Uh, and then in 10 seconds later, you're like, all right, what's the next thing? But like, make that 10 seconds a little longer. You know what I mean? Make it, enjoy the, enjoy the moment. I didn't, I, I, I didn't do that in my early 20s and my early 30s. I was really just trying to stack up my, my resume, right? I was just trying to stack up my portfolio and I didn't enjoy some of the successes. And so I started talking about it and I was like, man, that was, that was a good run. That was a good thing. But the grind doesn't end. Keep on grinding. Know you're going to get, know you're going to get failed. It's okay if you fall down and get punched in the face every now and then, like, you know, it's fine. It's going to happen. It builds character. Um, but uh, resilient, just resilience. Cause like it, in this world, I feel like everyone is like, Oh, that's really, there's just, it's a different environment where I feel like some folks will ex- accept failure easy and just take it and, and live in it. Um, and I don't want, I'm just not, I don't want to be like that. I never want to be like that. My wife is not like that. We train our son not to be this way. Like you can't live in failure. You got to keep on grinding. Yeah. That's what I tell young kids. Like keep on grinding, man. Like don't, it's, you, it's not going to end. Yeah. And that's great because both of those pieces go together because oftentimes you grind and you grind and you grind and that's all you're focused on. Yeah. You know, it said that life is a journey, not a destination. So enjoy that journey as it goes. Enjoy the grind. Enjoy the grind as it moves forward. Wow. Man, maybe I'm going to have to take this last part and put it in the front. <laughs> so yeah. people, they'll know what's coming. Yeah. But um, this was tremendous. So I know it's uh, in, the, in, the, in the middle of the week, in the middle of the day. So I appreciate you guys taking the time out. Um, we're extending Black History Month. We might have to make it national. <laughs> but um, thank you guys so, so, so much. Um, I'll be in Atlanta in a couple of weeks. So... You know, I'll give you guys a shout, see if we can get together. I can uh, buy you guys a lunch or a dinner or something. And, um, you know, this has been brilliant. So thank you both. Thank you, man. I thank appreciate you so it. much for having us on. Yeah. <laughs> Until the next time, um, we'll hear you guys later. So we are back. I told you it was no snoozer. That one was exciting. Um, Action packed. And one for the ages, they really came with it. And, um, you know, that was a long time coming. So thank you very much. 
Jonathan and Erica, and I'll see you soon. I'll be headed to Georgia. We're about to ramp back up our presence there, uh, Kajik Multimedia. So I will see you all soon. And, um, you know, there's things happening in Georgia that yeah. I guess I'll Well, before, before that, well done, see. my friend. That, w- that was a fantastic interview. I loved it. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. But, um, uh, but yeah, I'll, lot, I'll lots to, popping in Georgia right now. Huh? I have to see on the ground myself. Yeah, there is a lot, a lot popping. You know, there was not too long ago a big cry from the industry about boycotting Georgia because, you know, there's laws that are always threatening the past and laws that do pass. And, you know, there's a big big, big presence in Georgia in terms of the film and entertainment industry. It's been number one in production. So that's physical production for the past. Well, I don't know, you know, since the pandemic production has kind of slowed down, but pre pandemic, uh, the three years prior, it was number one in physical production. Um, You know, I think LA is always going to be the epicenter. um, And then you have New York, But in terms of physical production, because Georgia has uh, 14 studios and Tyler Perry studio, which is the 14th studio, is big enough to fit all the studios inside of his one studio. So they have a a lot of infrastructure and this comprehensive incentive program. So they're always going to be kind of at the top of the game. You know, Georgia is always going to have its place with the exception of, you know, there's some draconian things going on there that. Let me correct myself because I'm not going to dive fully into politics. There are some things that are going on there that makes Hollywood quite uncomfortable or some people in Hollywood, a lot of people in Hollywood, very uncomfortable. In this case, it's the new voter laws that have been passed there in Georgia. And a lot of the bigger stars are expressing their distaste for the new laws. So Mm. although a full boycott has not happened, as things move forward, there's still 90 days before the actual laws take place. Um, You may want to look towards some kind of reconfiguring going on with the attitudes and uh, there. Right. And yeah, you're, it makes sense. And look, obviously, the industry has a certain way about it. And there are certain folks that feel obviously very strongly about it, um, you know, that that think that the boycott is the answer. There are others that say, look, not so fast. Let's kind of think about this for a second. Is that the wisest course of action? You know, they I believe Hollywood did threaten something similar when there was uh, in regards to uh, the abortion laws that they were trying to pass. Uh, that there was also sort of an upheaval within the industry uh, when that was going around. But, you know, who knows? Because you could take it both ways, right? But at the end of the day, you have these hardworking people. Now, I'm not going to talk about the stars uh, now or the A-list producers or filmmakers. I'm talking about the regular crews that are employed that have to feed their families. And, you know, whether they're for or against these laws or not, you know, that then starts to affect them, especially now coming out of a pandemic where everyone really needs to work. Uh, maybe there's another course of action that they, you know, to still make their case, but without, you know, causing such a huge financial difficulty now to all the hardworking production folks in, in the in the state as well. Yeah. 
So, you know, we'll be watching that and seeing what's happening there. And then I'll be I'll be in Georgia within the next couple of weeks because, you know, we established a presence there two years ago and really have not moved that needle forward as much through the pandemic. And now is the time, you know, as the curve starts to flatten to really, Mm -hmm. you know, connect more out there. So I'll hit the ground there and then I'll have some others some other things to say is seeing, seeing, seeing what's going on in person. Absolutely. You know, with that interview, you know, we, 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 we talked a lot about adult swim. I'm a big fan of the offerings of adult swim. One of the biggest offerings, and if not their biggest right now is Rick and Morty. Everybody has been waiting for the season drop. All the fans have been waiting for the season drop. It's happening June 20th. A lot of yes, excitement sir. is buzzing around that. So we'll have more conversation about Rick and Morty as we move closer to that date. Yeah. 20th of June. It's actually a day before my birthday. So no wonder there's buzz. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we will buzz about that too. Yes. Yeah. It's a special day. You know, first day of summer, summer solstice, uh, whenever my birthday's on a Friday. And I, that's when I get my man cave in the big house, wherever that is, uh, hopefully, a, I want to have every movie poster that has my birth date on it because every time it's on a <laughs> it's Friday, great. that was when the big summer tentpole, the first big summer tentpole, would come out on June twenty first wow. of that year. Will Smith so, started that with with Independence Day back in the day. The whole summer, right? Yeah, the, the su- summer, summer blockbusters. Summer yeah. blockbuster. Yeah, and so another another thing connected to Adult Swim. Well really, really marked a big movement for Adult Swim was return of adult cartooning or adult animation. So there's another company that is making that move as well. Disney. Absolutely. And and not even just because they're creating original content for the adult space in animation, but because they inherited, adopted, whatever you want to call it, from what was formerly known as Fox, right? Yeah. Uh, now 20th television, Disney television studios, uh, the likes of The Simpsons, Family Guy, American Dad, Bob's Burgers. Uh, that's all under the Disney umbrella now. So yeah. it looks like Disney is devoting an entire division to this uh, specific part of the animation market uh, and starting to also develop and produce their own adult themed animations. Uh, Solar Opposites, The Great North. And it looks like they have uh, top 20th century televisions, Marcy, let me see if I get this last name right, Marcy Proietto, who was named the head of the new unit. Uh, and this was basically to take on the programming of anything previously produced by 20th Century Fox, which is now 20th Century Television, which is now all the house of the mouse. We said it when we started Screen Heat Miami, the shift with Mickey and Goofy. They're going to grow up. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) We got it on lock, baby. They are growing up. (laughs) Yes, sir. Mickey, Minnie, a whole nother world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a whole nother sector for them. This is not your your typical kids' fair or even family fair. But, you look, they've delved into it with some of their bigger Pixar features have very adult themes, usually weave through them. Uh, You know, some of the, the more kind of... Um, epic kind of Disney movies. But in terms of like, you know, their half hour stuff, they're made for TV series. Uh, this is going to be something interesting for them. Yeah. I mean, definitely with their offerings, 
you know, Disney has moved a hundred percent into, you know, what is the adult market clearly, not just with Pixar and that's animation, but you know, the acquisition of Marvel, the star Wars, um, even in their original fair, I mean, WandaVision had dealt with a lot of, um, although, you know, it kind of teetered back and forth, but a lot of adult, adult themes. And now, you know, you have Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I love. Yeah, I love. Yeah, that's, that's a great, yeah, segue, because again, all of this now, including the adult animation stuff, The Simpsons, what have you, needs into the billion dollar baby, the new billion dollar baby for Disney, which is their streamer, Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. And, and their, their, their streamer is just killing it. So one note about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, their debut episode happened to be the number one most viewed piece of content for Disney Plus ever. Wow. So much for the Mandalorian, huh? <laughs> I'm uh, sure Mando. I'm sure Mando's going to come fighting back um, come or back. whichever iteration um, they're going to have. There's going to be a few different iterations of that. Also, you know, the Obi-Wan Kenobi, they're already putting that that piece together and that's looking really good. We'll talk about that next week. But um, there's already a bit of controversy around Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And this is adult themes. I mean, you know, really, they're parsing really, 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 uh, you, you know, tough stuff, tough areas. They, last episode, they... And I, I'm going to preface this with this is based off of a comic series from Marvel, a Captain America comic series from Marvel that um, that came out in 1995. So it, mm-hmm. it is original the way that they spun it into this episode, but it's not as if it's something that they a threat that they created specifically an original threat they created specifically for last week's episode so in the episode spoilers ahead so if you don't want any spoilers um tune out and tune back in in just two minutes but uh bucky takes falcon to the home of one of the previous um persons that received the super serum and it was a, a black man by the name of Isaiah Bradley. Now, Falcon didn't know about him. And then after that sequence happens, he asks if Captain America knew about it. And he said, no, he, he told no one. In the episode, you'll understand why Bucky uh, ran into him and knew about him. But this mm. was based off of a true a true episode that happened here in American history where 300 black men were exposed to syphilis in what's called the Tuskegee experiment back in the late sixties and early seventies. And they were told that they were getting the, uh, the cure and they had the cure, but they weren't, they were experimenting to see how 
that syphilis affected them over time. And so that right. was a it's sustained in, in American history. But, mm. you know, it's 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 also, you know, one of the biggest areas of, you know, why there's a lot of distrust in the medical system cool. with the, the black sure. population. And you can and you can feel that even even to this day with the vaccinations not being as high in, in the black community. And so this story is, you know, kind of based and foundationed off of that. And it really is a moment when you watch the, the, the uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier in that episode um, and understand that history where, you know, you come to terms. Wow. With, and we said adult themes. You come to terms with, you know, some of the things that, that have happened. Mm. And I think that for Disney to connect with that is a huge step forward. Sure. A huge step wow. forward. And, you right. know, we can see the numbers that are coming through with Falcon and the Winter Soldier so that, you know, there's a lot of approval for what's going on in the episode. And there's a lot, mm. I mean, I love it. You know, there's a lot of fun too. So I don't want to, you know, dig too deep into... Right. And not to give away too many spoilers for those that haven't streamed it. Yeah, that, that <laughs> present too. company included. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried my best. You saw I was kind of slow and, and in fits and spurts with with, with giving the information. I'm still but, gonna watch it. But uh, okay, <laughs> I didn't think that that was gonna ruin it for you. But uh, <laughs> you know. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> you watch it anyway. But um, you know, there's it, it, it's still you know very action packed and and it deals with you know a lot of the issues that are relevant today. And it balances mm-hmm. them very well. So, you know, I'm yeah. looking for this to be, you know, one of their biggest hits. It already is one of their biggest hits as it moves through. And also um, in terms of, you know, you looked at the Mandalorian and that righted a lot of the ship for the whole Star Wars ecosystem. Um, the storytelling to be, become more robust and right. more uh, multi-layered and mm. more rich. And I really enjoy seeing this next phase and 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 it says a lot seeing the next phase happening in front of our faces in front of our faces in our homes so i want to see also how this translates to the theaters we talked about the alamo draft house right um, earlier we talked about the surgence of amc and that amc is still going to be around after all of this yeah. you know goes through we no one knew if that was going to that, that was going to be the truth. But now we know the AMC is still be around Cinemark. So the big theaters are still going to be around. So, you know, I'm interested in seeing how all of this translates in exhibition, because ultimately it's ex- exhibition in the exhibition space. You know, the streaming versus the theaters versus what type of stories play out and this integration with Disney and their storytelling, I think, is one has been one of the the best integrative um, thread connecting uh, parts of storytelling in yes in all of the in in, in all of the uh, the bigger media experience. It's so. it's what I call the cinema cinematic universe. How's that? Cinema cinematic. You coined it. You've heard it first here <laughs> on Screen Heat Miami. CCU has been officially coined on Screen Heat Miami. There you go. So the CCU will always be a saga, an endless saga to be continued on the on the next episode. But this has been a fun ride, my friend, as usual. Yep. 
Always is. Godzilla versus Kong. I had to say it. It's coming oh, out. Oh, snick it in. Yes. We're going to talk about Godzilla it next week. Kong. There you go. <laughs> Love it. All right. Until the next time, I'm JL Martinez with. I'm Kevin Sharpley. And this is the one, the only. Screen Heat Screen Miami. Heat Miami, baby. Boom. Dale. Yeah.